Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Glenn, one of the pastors and elders here at the Rock Church. Great to be with you this morning, as it usually is, even in this way. Again, I have to say to those of you who are at home, I hope you had this playing through some loudspeakers and you had it turned up. Uh, because in this house here today, it was just wonderful to worship in that way. And so thank you to Nick and the, the musicians, the band this morning. It was just beautiful, wonderful. <clears throat> I have a really quick brief announcement, actually, before we dive into our second message in our identity series today, and that is this. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Lord willing, we hope to be introducing a brand new live streaming system, uh, which will allow us to embed the live stream video right in our church website, which will also obviously be on your phones, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you'll be able to log in and join in in uh, the chat, uh, which will be private to our church, and prayer rooms, which are private to our church. For those of you who've been praying for a long time that you could get the Facebook app actually off of your phones, next Sunday might be that time for you. Yes, exactly. So, but for the, I just all should, should say, we will be simultaneously continuing to... Uh, uh, broadcast on Facebook Live, and uh, we don't know how, for how much longer, but uh, one of the reasons we started that actually way before COVID was because we wanted to let people in Squamish come and see. Uh, just see what the church is all about, what we're doing here on Sunday mornings live online. So we might continue doing that for those who uh, want to do that. So be, uh, look for your e-newsletter, there'll be instructions, but basically you just got to go to therocksquamish.com next Sunday and click join the live service, and you'll be there with us. And so that'll be great. If you have Bibles with you this morning, I would really encourage that. You, you would, if possible, put your finger in three places. Uh, we are going to be in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 again because that is so foundational to our very subject. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we are also going to be in Romans chapter 7, I believe. So we're going to be moving around, okay? But if you have your fingers in those places, it'll be helpful because I would love it if you were following along with me in the Word. So once again, um, we are beginning, or are, I should say continuing in our three-week mini-series entitled Identity, A Journey to Discover Your True Self. As I mentioned last Sunday, it is essentially broken down this way. Last week, of course, we considered a few what I called foundational biblical truths or concepts or ideas that I believe we need to know, uh, understand, uh, so uh, that we can actually consider identity and discovering our true self more deeply. This week, we will dive more deeply into the ways in which we have formed false identities. Hmm. That could be interesting and fun. And as a result of that, how falling back into our old nature or our old self prevents us, actually prevent, prevents us from the transformational work of the Spirit who wants to transform us and grow us into our true self. And then finally, next week, we will discover our true self and our true identity and that it gives for us, to us, the real meaning and purpose of the Christian life that God intends for you and I in two things, our calling and our vocations. So that'll be interesting to conclude with that next week. So once again, I encourage you, as I did last week, that this three-part series, I have no illusions. There's no possible way in three weeks that, you know, we can learn everything that we need to learn about our true identities. It, it literally is the Christian life. It is a day-by-day -day walk with God, allowing the Holy Spirit to look in, God himself to look into our lives, look at ourselves as we actually are today, still part of our old nature, still the old self showing itself to us, 
and allowing Him to transform us. And so really, after we finish the series, my hope and prayer is that church, every time we gather on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study or in homes, what we will be doing is thinking that, hey, this is what it's about. We're on this journey to discover our true selves, this journey that we call sanctification in the Christian life, that part of the Christian journey that begins when we have been saved by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, by placing our faith and trust in Jesus that, yes, He is the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sins, for your sins. And as a result of that, we are saved from the penalty of sin. And that's called our justification. We're justified, not by anything that we have done in our lives to earn that, but by what He has done completely. And now in this Christian life, we need to be saved from the power and presence of sin that's still existing in this world and, as the Bible says, in our mortal flesh. And that's called sanctification. And so that's the journey. That's the the life of transformation, the moving away from this old nature that we're born with and these old selves that we've accumulated into this new creation in Christ that God has for us. It's a wonderful journey. So yes, as your pastor, uh, one of the key reasons why I felt led to do this series last fall, and I'm so glad, as I mentioned last week, I I didn't do what I thought I should do last year. But one of the reasons is, yes, honestly, uh, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of struggle in our world and culture today related to identity. But I I just want to make sure we understand this today. This is not a new thing. Human beings have been struggling with their identity since day one. All of us have. And so we're all on this journey, and God's, God's heart is that we would journey with Him in this, but also with each other. So the ultimate goal then is that we learn that the journey to discovering true self is the Christian life. That's the essence of it. It is a lifelong journey, and the reason why, again, as I said last week, a few repeats from last week, why we gather on Sundays to hear the Word of God, to let the Holy Spirit open our hearts, sometimes cut us to the heart, and transform us, but also why we gather in missional community groups so that we can again go into the Word, but also we can live together. And I hope you'll see today part of that is being honest with each other, inviting God, first of all, to look into the parts of our lives that we would like to keep hidden, but also our brothers and sisters in Christ, because that, again, is part of the transforming process of the Christian life. So this series, I want to be clear, is not specifically about the church versus cultural opinions or expressions of our personal identity. Not at all. My hope is that it will first and foremost help those of us who call ourselves Christian truly understand our true identity, which I feel many of us might know in our head, maybe, but maybe not feel like it's actually reached our heart and is actually part of our lives. And that's why we continue to struggle. Then and only then will we as the church be able to, able to love and accept everyone for who they are right now and welcome them on the journey as well to discovering their true self, which, listen, is only known by God. I don't know your true self individually. I do know from what the the Scripture teaches what some aspects of it should look like as for myself. But only God truly knows your true self. 
He's the only one who can reveal our true self to any one of us. And why? Well, because as we've already seen, and as we learned last week, and I hope you know, we are created in His image by Him. Let's pray before we continue. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this day. We are so privileged uh, in our country and this part of the world to be able to uh, gather in this way, even in this way, and especially to be able to open your word, read it, and, and honestly consider what it says. But Lord, in that, I, I just pray for all of us here today, I pray that you would, you would touch our hearts. You would speak to us. You would change even everything that comes after this in the text that I've written in my notes. If needs be, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that. So I pray that you would speak to us, you would encourage us, and that you would help all of us move forward in this transforming journey that we truly want to be part of. And so I thank you for these things, and I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So I know that some of you are going to love this, but uh, I, I believe a good place for us to start part two today is to remember the three things that I brought up last week from our first message that are foundational. First, we see in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that God has created us in His image. Scripture teaches us that He created us male and female, and in that we have our primary identity. And that primary identity is, again we see in that text, our meaning and purpose is to be image bearers of God, to reflect Him to this world. That's an incredible responsibility, amen? takes knowing him better, I would think. We also have here our first job description. And again, I know all of you love that. And it is for both men and women equally. And that is that we will be stewards, are to be stewards of his good creation. He created all of this for you and for me. And he has given it to us to have dominion over, which means to steward and to care for his good creation. So some of our Calling and vocation is even seen in that, as we'll see next week. Our second primary identity is seen here is to multiply and fill the earth with more image bearers. That's kind of the plan that he had in mind. Simple, but it works, right? It really does. So after first creating Adam and then Eve, we read and saw in Genesis 2 that God instituted marriage, without which, of course, there would never be any multiplying, would there? Now, I've said this before, and it's just true about the Rock Church. We take the Bible literally. Come on, tongue-in-cheek here. Because uh, we are going forth and multiplying in a major way. In fact, I won't mention, but specifically, I, I heard a rumor that there was another baby arrived here in Squamish yesterday. And there are more to come. And so that's all part of the process. You guys are really good at that. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, I want to pre repeat this verse this week because we're going to see it again next week in Ephesians chapter 5. Where God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So secondly, we learned that our true self does actually exist, and God knows you and I personally. Yes, even the broken Glenn, the misguided Glenn, the rebellious Glenn, I could keep going on and on, and you too. Yes, he knew that, but he also knew your true self before you were born. And we saw that last week. It's expressed for us in the words that he, he spoke to Jeremiah, the prophet. He told Jeremiah several things that he knew about him before 
he was formed in his mother's womb. He said in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed, formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Jeremiah, personally, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. It's a beautiful work. Consecrated him, chose him to be a prophet, holy. I appointed you, he said, a prophet to the nations. Well, finally last week, we looked at a, a verse that we almost felt a little bit out of context, might feel the same way today, but then we're kind of fast-forwarding to the fact that God already knows our true selves, and it's from 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul says, Therefore, drawing one of his great conclusions, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so that brings us back to where we were in Ephesians last week in chapter 1. We read that there about our new identity. Paul talks about us being blessed in the heavenly places with Christ. He's talking about us already, already having our true self, our true identity, our new identity in Christ. And as you see Paul's words to the church in Corinthians, we've already received the new identity, our true self, and as a result of that, I'm sure most of you did last week, or many of you did last week, or you should have been, asking, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Okay. I mean, I might be able to get that somewhat in my mind or believe that's kind of a future thing. No, it's actually a present thing now. And so we looked at it last week. It's about this concept called position and practice, or your standing or your, and your state. And so just like your true self already existed before God formed you in your mother's womb, your true self already exists now if you're in Christ. Meaning he has saved you from the penalty of sin as mentioned and, and, and the Holy Spirit has regenerated your heart and now you live for him. Your position then is completely 100% perfect. It's secure. It's guaranteed. And so your true self and identity is found to be a son or daughter of the Father, an heir to every single thing that Jesus has been given by the Father, and the Spirit, as I said, has guaranteed your life now and for eternity. So listen, I thought about this this morning just as I was rereading my notes and this came to me and it was this idea. And, and we're going to look at what kind of a struggle that is next. But the reality is, friends, the reality is this. The good news is, one day, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've trusted Him, one day you are going to meet that perfect self, that true self. You're going to arrive and be there as that person. And so again, the Christian journey is about moving closer to that identity today. That's possible through the power and ability of the Holy Spirit alone. Sadly, on the other side is this. Without Christ, for eternity, you will never discover your true self. So some of you are saying, but wait. Okay, I get that. Maybe philosophically. Maybe even you know, borderline theologically. But wait. Why do you and I often feel just like the Apostle Paul said he felt in Romans 7? Remember that? What Paul said in Romans 7? I mean, you remember, he's a man, it's interesting, he's a man who before Christ, he had a specific, if you asked anyone in Jerusalem in that day, any Christian for sure in that day, how would you identify Paul? People would have said, he's a murderer. And some of them, even after the fact, were like, 
is it possible that Jesus could save this guy or forgive this guy? Well, he did. And he completely changed his identity into an apostle of Jesus Christ who goes on to plant many of the first Christian churches and write much of the New Testament. And we all know him to be a man who was holy and righteous and, and proclaimed truth and wrote the truth and who also struggled and was persecuted for his faith in Christ. But then 20 years later, he confesses this basically. He basically says, I, I'm 20 years into being a Christian and yet I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's going on here. He goes, I know the truth. I, I, I don't, I'm doing the things that I should not do. And so notice, I mean, he knows he shouldn't be doing, doing those things, and, and he's confessing, I'm, but I'm still doing them. And then he says, there are the things that I should be doing, which can also be sin, by the way, if you don't do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and he goes, and, and I'm not doing those things. And he laments it. And as I've said before, looking at that passage, I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. In fact, when I look back to the day when I was 23 years of age that I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm just saying this. This is this may be not true for you, and I'm not saying I, I, this is 100% true, but I'll tell you what seemed to happen in my life. I mean, first of all, I got a haircut. Jesus saves and he shaves. That's what happened to me. Secondly, I quit smoking cigarettes. Uh, thirdly, I quit, quit inhaling certain substances, okay, because I was. And, and, and drinking, and this was a big one taking the Lord's name in vain. My family and, and, and where they were from and all the background, taking the Lord's name in vain, it was just like it, it rolled off the tongue. It just happened all the time. I picked it up. I did it too. And here's the thing. Here's what I, I, I noticed. I feel like I was walking on a cloud for three months. <laughs> I, I felt like an angel for three months. Trust me, Glenn has never been an angel. But I felt like that. And, and even some of my friends were like, what is wrong with you? Okay. And then, and then, it was almost like back to reality. And then some of the old nature and old self was like still there. And I was like, what? Why would that be? And it was a struggle. This is the Christian life. This, in fact, is the Christian life. And so after Paul declares this in Romans 7, where he's like, I don't know what's wrong with me, what's going on, he then says these words, in verses 16 to 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, I'm agreeing with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin, listen, that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, in my body, in my fleshly existence. For I, I have, listen, this is important. I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. That is an incredibly important distinction. The desire's there. You might have the desire. I have the desire. The ability, sometimes we think we can work that up and handle it ourselves. No, and Paul knows this. The ability comes from the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who has the power to help us do that. And then he goes on, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. What's he getting at here? He's not denying that he still sins. But he's actually saying, no, you know what? I'm a new creation in Christ. But that's my old self. 
and my old nature in a battle. So as he said, this is the Christian life. Our whole life requires the gospel to save us from the power of sin over us in this world today. That's, we need the gospel all through our lives. Not just, not just to the point where we repent and come to faith in Christ, but to grow us in him and to transform us. And that is what is called our sanctification, a fancy word that simply refers to the transformational work of the Holy Spirit to, again the word, transform us into the likeness of Christ and into our true, unique self. So this we will unpack by reading and considering God's word, Paul's words that follow what he wrote about our new identity in Christ. And that's what we want to look at today is in Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3 we will begin with. But this is where we're going to unpack this and see that Paul wants to now instruct the churches in Ephesus but also in Asia Minor because this letter would have gone to all those churches as it is to the Rock Church today. It is here today. And he said this, look at these words, to teach us and help us to understand what we're dealing with during this transformational period. Uh, phase of our lives. He said, and you were, past tense, dead in the trespasses and sins in which in once you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the course of this world. Paul writes in Romans 12 a little later on in uh, one of his, well, previously in the book of Romans, but later on from Romans 7, he talks about Uh, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, but also avoiding the pattern of this world. So there's a clear pattern in the world. And transformation in the Christian life doesn't take place there. And so he says, following, but we were following the course, course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and here's the most important words for us to unpack this morning, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So Paul reminds us here of who we were, who all of us were. It's so important, friends, but not easy to look at. I understand, but it's so important. He's doing that, and the Spirit is doing that because we must face, we must face who we were. Sometimes I, I, I feel, some of us, I've done this, we come to faith in Christ, you know, we're new creations in Christ, and, and we just don't want to go back there. <laughs> it's, it's like, and I'm not proposing psychoanalysis, but it's like, we don't want to do that. We don't want to go back. We, we don't want to believe it. And as we'll see today, we actually sometimes want to hide it. And so the truth is, We need to know who we were before we can truly know our true self or truly know God. So last week I quoted for you a Christian psychologist by the name of David Benner from his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, when he said these words. He said, you cannot truly know God until you truly know yourself. And then he said, you can't truly know yourself without truly knowing God. If you remember, I then also quoted a few well-known theologians from the past couple of millennia. And uh, they say essentially the same thing. And it doesn't matter whether they were, quote, you know, liberal or conservative. They they all said essentially the same thing and agreed with that idea. It sounds like a paradox, uh, and it is, but it's also true. And that, again, is the role of transformation or sanctification in the Christian life. 
So again, notice what we see in verse 3 where it says, we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, okay, we're all in this. This is something we've all been dealing with and are dealing with. And so out of this and many other areas of Scripture, we understand that we have an old nature and an old self. They're not exactly the same thing. Highly related, but they're not the same thing. The old nature is what you and I are born with. When I hear people say, born that way, and famous song, Lady Gaga, I mean, when I hear that, I understand. I understand exactly what it's saying, but this is actually how we're born. We're not born angelic and then twisted by the world. We are born with this old nature. The old self is what we've made ourselves into, or how we self-identify, if you will, that helps us make sense of our lives as a result of being born with this old nature. So now back to Genesis, of course, we must go. Uh, we must understand this old sinful nature thing before we can go any further. So let's have a look at that. You'll remember last week in Genesis 1 and 2, and you guys know the story over and over again because we've done this a lot at The Rock. It's so foundational. It's all good and very good, right? It's all good and very good by the end of chapter 2. God says... And then, uh, pardon me, Adam and Eve and his wife are living, we see in that picture, in this perfect garden, in, and they're living the perfect life that God had intended for all of us. And, and as I was, again, considering that this week, I thought I'd maybe point this out for you today, because it's a fact, but maybe we don't remember this or think about it this way, but there actually have been three perfect human beings who have ever lived in history and, and three people who knew and lived as their true selves. Jesus, obviously. He not only lived, uh, he lived his whole life as a perfect human being, but also as his true self. But so did Adam and Eve. When they were born, they were born perfectly as their true selves. And everything was good. Everything in the garden was perfect. Well, then I'm sure we all know exactly what happened, right? It began with those famous words, did God really say? In verse 1 of chapter 3, we hear the serpent saying, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? It's always amazing to me that when the word of God is sometimes used, I mean, this serpent knows the word of God, but he didn't say all of it. It's a bit misleading. God had told Adam actually one simple command. And we see that back in Genesis 2.17. He had said, you can eat of all of the trees in the garden. Every tree, they're all there. It's a smorgasbord. You, go for it. I will feed you. You're welcome to every tree in the garden. Then he says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he, he gave that command in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 to Adam before Eve is even on the scene and before she becomes his wife. Well, it appears from the story, which I believe is true, he did maybe tell her what God had said, but maybe not exactly every word. We don't know who missed something here. But when the serpent says this, Eve is the first one to speak up, and she says, and it's recorded in the Scripture, and the woman said to the serpent, Actually, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, 
You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. So adding to God's word, lest you die. I've said this before, and I'm just thinking it again. It's at this point that the serpent knows something. He's been around a while. But when we add to God's word or detract from God's word, he senses victory. And he makes his move. He says in verses 4 and 5, No, you won't. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I heard a fantastic three-part series by Don Carson. I didn't know that he spoke at Oxford and also this was to a Labrie um, course and conference in Oxford, England, and he was speaking on Genesis 3 about sanctification. <laughs> and he used, he used the, the phrase here that I'd never heard before. I think it's beautiful. It helps us understand a little bit about what we do as human beings with God. And he, he described this as the dethroning of God. It's, it's not just you and I buying a lie, because we did this too. It's dethroning of God and putting ourselves on the throne. So Genesis goes on and says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I always like to point this out. Adam let her go ahead and be the test. (laughs) It's not what a man should do. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the truth is, we know, sadly, Adam and Eve sinned, and therefore, at that very moment, they died to their true self. You see that? At that very moment, they died to their true self. Everything that was perfect that God had made and planned for their flourishing also died because death came to this world. Their relationship with God and with each other, and that included their relationship as a man and a woman, as husband and wife, emotionally, and I'm going to also suggest to you, sexually was impacted by this. They were not only hiding themselves, putting fig trees over themselves because they were naked to hide themselves from God, but also they were ashamed to be naked in front of each other. So immediately God comes looking for them, we're told, and they're hiding from God. I'm sorry, I I smile every time I think of that because imagine trying to do that. But we all do that. I do that. We all hide from God. But he still comes looking for us, which is beautiful. He calls out to Adam, asks him where he is, and Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So relationship with God is... Is broken, and God's heart is broken at this point too. If you continue to read the story, you're afraid of me. Where'd that come from? The knowledge of good and evil. So from that point forward, yes, Adam and Eve multiplied. They had many children. One of their sons murdered one of their other sons, like right at the beginning. But they multiplied sons and daughters. And by extension, you and I, who were born not as their true selves, 
But, as Paul just said above, we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that's how then, in the beginning, our sinful nature came into being. And it's been passed on. Passed on. So how about this word sin? <laughs> it's one thing to talk about sinful nature. This thing. What about this word sin? We all love that word. And trust me, preachers just love preaching about it. Actually, some do. I mean, for the most part, I think most people, possibly even many Christians, it means the breakings of rules and regulations that God has carved in stone, and with that comes punishment. Right? It, it, it's, like, it's literally true today that people feel exactly like Adam and Eve, and it's like, well, if that's true, if that's sin, if that's something that I'm not supposed to be doing and that that's bad, and, and, and th- then that means that God's going to come looking for me and he's, he's going to punish me. That's not the way it is. That is why, actually, as we will see, many of you and I maybe are fearful towards God. Fearful that God will see what we're doing, and as if he doesn't, who you are in your old self, and therefore we will run about hiding ourselves, covering ourselves, so that he and others don't see those parts of our old self that we don't want to be seen. That, however, is the point of today's message, this part of our identity journey. We need to see ourselves as God actually does see us and not be afraid because he desires to transform us, to help us. And so I've said this before, I think maybe a better way to understand sin, um, it, it is going against his commands and his laws, it is that, but a better way maybe for us to understand sin is as we've seen so far. In the garden, sin is death. Sin brings death. Sin is like, then maybe look at it this way, as an analogy or an illustration, it is like cancer. I, I could have it in my body right now. Any of you could have it in your body right now. Sadly, people in our, in our body as a church have that and we're praying for people. But you might not see it. We look healthy, got a suntan, everything looks good. But it's multiplying. It's spreading. And if it's not caught early and dealt with, it spreads. If not take our life physically, I'm talking sin now, it certainly will render us spiritually dead. And that's why, in one sense, Paul also says this, another true saying in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What you and I are owed by God for our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Good news, huh? (laughs) Most certainly is. And so listen, moving forward on this journey to discover our true self, we must learn to accept or maybe better put, be honest about our true self. That that was and is still, still part of who we are. And at least, in this sanctifi- at least we should be doing that in this sanctification phase of our lives. I think for many of us, the way this has been taught to us makes, us, makes it a lot harder than it ought to be, though, right? After all, doesn't the, body, the Bible teach th- this phrase as well? You know, we need to crucify our old self. We need to crucify our sin nature from Romans 8.13. And, and out of that, are we not encouraged to believe that our identity then is we are sinners? 
I'll never forget this. Many, many years ago, I was in this uh, lovely prayer meeting with these older men who had a British accent. I'm just saying. They did. And, and, and they were praying, you know, and, and they're very lovely and all the rest of it. And I was part of this, this church group at that time that were, you know, maybe borderline a little legalistic. Okay, maybe legalistic. And, but their prayers, it was so sweet. It just sounded so natural. But it was like, oh, Lord, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Oh, wretched sinner that I am. And I'm hearing that, I'm going, that's lovely, it's, it's true, it's in the Bible. But I remember afterwards saying to one of these older gentlemen, um, but Paul also repeatedly opens his letters to the churches and he writes to the saints in Christ. Like, I remember the, this gentleman looking at me going, are you saved? No, he didn't say that. But it, so we, we can be, I think, conditioned to think that that's our identity. And if, if true, then that's how God sees us. And if true, then that God wants to punish us. But honestly, I think I'm more like that guy, that Glenn many years ago. Today, I still am. I'm more of a glass is half full. And I think we need to see that. When Jesus looks at us, the truth is, a better way of putting that, is it true that we are sinners saved by grace? Absolutely. But a better way of saying that is that you are a deeply loved sinner who's been saved by grace. Makes all the difference, doesn't it? makes all the difference in the world. Now that said, the truth is, again, is that our tendency is to deny or avoid these parts of ourselves, which will never ever lead to crucifying them if that is the case. But to crucify our sin nature that still reigns in our earthly flesh, we must accept that it is our nature and it is still part of our old self. So let's have a look and just for a minute before we conclude today, a few minutes about our old self and how our old nature came into being. So let me share with you an experience that I had when I was just 12 years old. This might seem really silly to you, but I'm going to ask you as part of the application today to go home and start actually looking back in your life and, and seeing how some of your part selves and false selves and false identity has been built. But I remember being 12 years of age, and even at 12 years of age, my mom would occasionally, without my dad's knowledge, let me stay up until 11.30 at night to see Johnny Carson, right? And my parents loved Johnny Carson because uh, all of the Hollywood famous were on there and, and it was funny, it was whatever. And I noticed my mom was always laughing and there was this one guy on there who would come on regularly. He's a Canadian. His name was Rich Little. Some of you might remember him. He was probably the, one of the best impersonators that there ever was. And uh, he would impersonate actors, presidents, and even Johnny, and, and it was hilarious, right? It would, it would just, he was like so spot on, right? But I would notice when he would do an impersonation, my mom or my dad, they would just start laughing, and it was so funny, and, and so I started practicing, you know? And, and I got 12 years old, my voice is kind of, it's not where it is today. And, I, and my dad also, by the way, loved Frank Sinatra, and he loved Dean Martin, and he had a TV show, and he loved their voices, they're these crooner guys, right? And here I'm, I'm 12 years of age, trying to sing like Dean Martin. I won't even try. I can do it, but I'm not going to do it this morning because it just wouldn't be right. But here's what happened. I got actually pretty good at it, and my mom and dad were laughing. One night, they had a party at the house. 20, we had a lot of aunts and uncles because my mother was from a big family, and they're all there, and all of a sudden, my mom goes, Glenn, do Dean Martin. So it's not only the voice because at 12, I can't do the voice for real, but he had, he, there was this one impersonation that Rich Little did where Dean had this thing where he had his microphone and a cigarette in his hand. Like, this is TV back in the day. It's weird. He had microphone, cigarette in the hand, and then he had a drink in the other hand because he was apparently always a little tipsy. And, and then he started confusing which was the mic. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm doing the impersonation and all of my aunts and uncles laughing their heads off. And you know what I found at that time? Huh. 
12 years old. They like that. It was acceptance. It was approval. And, and you know, the sad part of that is, and I'll just finish with this, is that years later, when my mom and dad would get into terrible fights because of alcohol, I would try to be funny to save the day. I became the class clown in high school because I just didn't want to apply myself. Remember my report card story a few weeks ago? This is what it is. It's interesting. You start to go back and you look at some of these past identities and what we've become. I start to look into my 20s and my 30s and I'm, I'm going back through this and how I wanted to present myself as this knowledgeable and successful businessman, this entrepreneur. These are ways that I self-identified. And these are ways, as I became a Christian, that are, became, are still part of my old self that I still to this day have to battle through. Which is why every once in a while, and some of the people in this room will, will agree and nod, I try to say something funny from the pulpit. It just lands flat, okay? I mean, it just, it's just absolutely true. That's one of my experiences. How about you? How about you? Maybe throughout this week, as I've said, maybe prayerfully think about this. I was quite surprised as I started to do this in the last couple of weeks, to think about the ways in which, based on the fact that I know I, I was born that way with this old nature, that's just true. But then out of that, I started to develop these identities for myself that I just... I wanted people to see, which would hopefully mean that I was good and nice and, and people would like me and respect me. And out of that comes pride and insecurity and things that are just not helpful, not good. Things that God wants to transform us from. And so maybe take some time to do that. Ask God to show you personally what are some of the areas of your life. Listen, He is, invite Him to look at you and look at those things and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's no condemnation coming from God. He didn't come to condemn, but to save this world from our sins. Another quote from David Benner I want to just leave you with uh, this morning is this. Knowing ourselves must therefore begin by knowing the self that is known by God. Genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at you. Grounding our knowing of ourself in God's knowing of us anchors us in reality. It also anchors us then in God. So one of the strongest evidences that I see in the Bible for God's great love for you and I is that when he said, when, when he could have just said at that time in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, rebelled against him after he, he'd given them this beautiful place and this perfect life. I mean, at that point in time, God could have said, enough. That's it. Done with this. Did my best. But he didn't. And that's exactly what Paul ends with. Right after he's gone and taken us to this old nature, old self teaching that we need to look at, he then says these words, writes these words. Whenever, you're, when you're, whenever you hear these first two words, it's good news. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him. When? Right now. (laughs) In the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Is this not incredibly good news? Right? Sure is. So yes, Jesus, the second Adam, the Bible teaches us, came to redeem and restore God's good creation. Last week, we we followed the outline that we often use in the church of God's story, who God is, what he has done, who that means we are, how then we should live. This week, I want to leave you with the second way that we look at that, and that is through creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So we've been looking at creation and fall, haven't we, for the last two weeks? Yes, we have. We most definitely have. And so we also know that Christ has come and redemption has taken place. It's available today. And the process of restoration is underway. So the beautiful thing that I hope you will see today is that Jesus didn't come to just make the the best solution possible out of Genesis 3 to redeem us and and just make what happened in Genesis 3 the best case possible, the best outcome that he could do after things were broken. No, I want to encourage you. He came back to restore the story of Genesis 1 and 2 when all things were very good and men and women were their true selves in perfect relationship with each other and with their God. That story, my friends hasn't changed. Pray with me, would you?